You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. It's one of those alarming things uh, that the people you follow, you end up starting to be a little bit like. I know that'll be particularly alarming for you if you're a member of St. John's here, uh, and that's alarming for me as your leader. Uh, We become like the people we follow. And so if you're particularly interested in... Uh, in being an entrepreneur, uh, you will imitate Elon Musk. Uh, And that's not only true in life generally, but in particular organisations or even for countries. So the character of the leader sets the character of the country. And you see that all over the world. Uh, We see that in stark relief right now in uh, the war between Russia and the Ukraine. If you have an autocratic uh, leader then you end up with an autocratic kind of country. I'm not saying that all Russians are like that. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. Please don't hear me say that. But the character of leadership affects how you operate in the country in which you live. So if you're in an autocratic country uh, that, and the power is sustained by fear and force, uh, then that is also the way in which you get ahead in that country. That's uh, if your country is corrupt, then it's the corrupt who prosper. The character of the leader impacts the character of the follower. That's true of uh, even on a smaller level. So uh, in your family, the kind of leader you are as a father or as a mother impacts the character of the family and how the family operates. uh, That works in the workplace as well. If you have a... Uh, CEO or a leader who is really out to to get ahead themselves and will do anything to do that, well, then the culture of the place will be like that as well. Everyone else will try and do the same. Or any organisation. And so if you look at the world and you wish things were different, If you look at the way in which people treat each other and wish it was different, then part of that wish is wishing that we had a different kind of leader. We had a different kind of king. Well, as we go back 2,000 years, that's certainly the case for the Jews back in that day. They were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been conquered by the Romans in autocratic power. They longed for a different leadership. They longed for freedom. They longed for... Uh, a different way. The Romans were famous for bringing in the Pax Romana, the the peace, but it was a peace that was enforced by fear, by by bloody executions, as we'll see within the week. The people of Jerusalem longed for true peace, freedom. They were longing for and looking forward to God's long-promised king. And so when Jesus hopped onto a colt and he rode towards Jerusalem, self-consciously fulfilling the prophecy that we read in Zechariah, and so proclaiming himself that long-awaited king, the people are excited. The people are welcoming him and ring out with, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven." Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would start singing out. What a day. 
what a day it must have been for the disciples. Imagine what it would have been like for them. Uh, Come with me to those crowds and get a sense of the excitement, the anticipation. Jerusalem is full. It's bustling with people for the Passover. Uh, There's no social distancing here. People are just cramming in. There's happiness. There's kids running around all over the place and just the buzz of excited talk. Everyone's relaxed and happy as they head towards the celebration of Passover. And amongst all this, there is a stir. There's a ripple of excited chatter as the news comes that Jesus who many think is a prophet, who's been doing these extraordinary things, and some hope might be, could he be the Messiah? He's coming to Jerusalem, and what is he doing? He's riding a colt. Now, why is that exciting? Because in Zechariah it said, your king will come to you riding on a colt. And they realise that what he's doing is he's announcing himself as that promised king. And the ache of your heart for your country, enslaved by the Romans, suddenly is replaced by a surge of joy. As the Messiah, the one who will come to save, comes, who you would have been waiting for for all those years. Could it be that he has come? Zechariah 9, 9 dances before your eyes. The righteous one who brings salvation is here. And then your eyes alight on a Roman soldier the hated oppressor, and suddenly the words of Zechariah 9 verse 8 come into sharp relief. But I will defend my house against the marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Your king comes to you riding righteous and having salvation, riding on a colt. A new king, a new country, Well, what a glorious and wonderful day it must have been. But as the cheers fade, we go forward to a meal. Uh, The meal of this king. Over the last couple of months here at St John's, we've been looking at the meals of Jesus in Luke. And uh, we've been watching Jesus create this new community, a different kind of community, a different kind of kingdom. And as we come here to this last week, we see Jesus coming to a meal. Only this is a different meal to any of the ones that we've seen before in Luke. And the big difference with this meal is that Jesus is the host. He's the host. None of the other meals, is that's the case. He's the host of this meal. And so as we look at this meal, what we're going to see is why what we've seen over the last few months has been so different to what we might have expected. Why is it that Jesus is going to the tax collectors and the poor and the unlovely and as well as the righteous, but he's including them into the table? Why is, he, why is that happening? Well, it's because... The kingdom is different to the kingdoms of the world. And why is the kingdoms different to the kingdoms of the world? It's because the king is different. This king is different. Uh, The disciples are excited. The disciples have seen that Palm Sunday and seen all the crowds uh, claiming him as the wonderful king. 
And this, I think they're still hearing the ring of the cheers of the crowd in their ears. And they're excited as they come to this meal because Jesus begins it by saying, I'm not going to eat again until this kingdom comes. That is, as they sit down, they realize Jesus is saying, the kingdom's coming tomorrow. The kingdom's coming in the next 24 hours. And as Jesus continues in that meal, I think they've heard nothing else for a bit. Because what do we find? Verse 24, the cheers of Palm Sunday crowd might have faded, but the glow of glory of that day is still in the disciples' eyes. Verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. That's one of the great things about being a leader, isn't it? Like in the ways of the world, that's why you want to be a leader, because you can get all the acclaim, you can get all the glory for yourself, you lord it over all the other people. Uh, you you uh, use other people, really, to make yourself feel good and grand and wonderful. That's, that's leadership in the world. The Gentiles lord it over people. Uh, and what else does Jesus say about ru- ruling and leading in the world? Those in authority over them are called benefactors. Now, we may not get this uh, straight away as we, we read it, but back in the ancient world, it ran on a system of patronage. And benefactors was, it was a title, really. Uh, so a benefactor is someone who is, is powerful and influential, and what you would do is you'd go up to them And if you needed uh, something, like you needed some money to start a business or an introduction into a particular social circle or you needed a good outcome in a dispute that you're having, uh, you go to a person who has some influence in that sphere or something of what you need and you you seek their favour. And then they they, uh, give it to you, but but it's not free. If it's granted to you, you have a debt of loyalty. This is not like a benefactor today where you expect the benefactor to just to give and there's no strings attached. No, if, if a benefactor gives, then you are in their debt. You have a debt of loyalty. You have to give them honour. You have to reciprocate uh, for the rest of your life. You're, you're basically owned by them. And so being a benefactor in the ancient world isn't actually about doing good to others. In the ancient world, it's about shoring up and strengthening your own advantages and your own position. Uh, So who gets the favour of the benefactor? It's those from whom the benefactor will get the most advantage. So it's going to be the beautiful. It's going to be the talented. It's going to be the respectable. It's going to be those who have it all together. It's going to be the wealthy. Now, that's the ancient world. But I wonder if our world actually isn't all that different. We don't have a a patronage system, and maybe in some other countries it does still work very evidently like that, but I think we do it a little bit more under, under the table. You know, the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. 
That's a patronage system. Uh, you might have read, it's almost 100 years old now, the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's basically a book on how to work the Western patronage system. It's about getting in with the right people. It's about buttering them up. It's about getting their favour so that you can advance yourself. That's how the world works, and it's crippling. It's absolutely crippling. Because you spend all of your time seeking to be as talented and as beautiful and as respectable and as good as possible so that you can get ahead yourself and it's a dog-eat-dog world. And if you are not living up to those standards, then you are crushed and you're down the bottom. And you feel it and others make you feel it. It's a horrible way for the world to be. That's a, a benefactor. It's transactional. I do this for you, then you do this for me. And the whole point of it is to make the benefactor richer and more powerful. And you do things for other people to get them indebted to you. And that's the way the world works. But Jesus says, but not so with you. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like one who serves. For Jesus' followers, the great have to become the least. And the leader isn't here to be served, but actually to serve others. And not for what you can get from them. You see, the kingdom of God is different because the king is different. Verse 27, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? See, Jesus is the great king. He is worthy of all glory. He's the greatest human being who has ever lived. And he is at the same time also God the Son, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's supreme over everything. He is the king. But he was a king in a way the world didn't recognise. He isn't a benefactor like the world word meant that well, like the world meant that word. And we've seen it all through our series. Who are the people Jesus invites in? Who are the people he who he brings into his orbit? If he was a benefactor in the way the world meant, it would be the beautiful and the powerful and the rich. But what has he been doing? It's the tax collectors, it's the prostitutes, it's the notorious sinners, it's the unlovely, it's the unpowerful the weak people who have nothing nothing to give him other than their acceptance of his grace and goodness to them well I wonder if you see God as a worldly kind of benefactor you do him favours and then, then perhaps he owes you. I, I live like this for you, God, and I do these things in the church or in the world and then you owe me a good and comfortable life. Uh, that's a transactional benefactor kind of relationship. Uh, are you, or are you trying to constantly prove to your, yourself to God 
And you're constantly trying to be as beautiful and as talented and as clever and as respectable as you can be so that God will give his favour to you? Or do you feel like none of those things? And so you find it really hard to believe that God would love you or bless you. Jesus isn't like that. His leadership isn't like that. His kingdom isn't like that. He comes most easily to those who know that they need him and have nothing to offer. And you know, in reality, that is all of us. And that's why it's so hard uh, to, to live this life in the way in which the world lives it because deep down, even though we're as talented and beautiful and rich and respectable as we can make ourselves to be and have all the acclaim we might want, we know deep down that we actually we don't have anything that is acceptable to God, that we have this nagging sense that we're not as wonderful as we'd like the world to believe us. And Jesus says, I'm not looking at that. I love you the way that you are. I come to you because you need me. And until you recognise that, you won't come to me, will you? He comes to those who know they need help and he serves. How does Jesus serve? Well, his kingdom is different because his kingship is different. Uh, Throughout this meal... And he's taken the position of a servant. And we know he's done that literally. So we know from John's Gospel that he's actually got down with a bowl of water and he's washed his disciples' feet. It's what the servant would do as you come in from the dusty road. Uh, We know from Luke's Gospel that he's served out the wine and the bread. He's taken the position of servant literally throughout this meal. But of course that's not fully what he's talking about. That's a little picture that's meant to point them to something else. He served. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Jesus comes and serves them at this table, and what he serves them with is his very self. Of course, it's a picture that's pointing to something even greater, and we'll get to that. But as he comes with the bread and the wine, he's serving them. He's telling them there's something about who I am as a leader, who I am as king, that you need to appropriate into yourself, that you need to, to, to actually change your heart. He's not just a leader out there leading the way. He's actually a leader who needs to transform us that we need to take on into our hearts and into our lives to know that actually it's him who sustains us as we take the bread and the wine. Uh, Of course, we get a little picture of that each Sunday that we have communion, don't we? And I think one of the hard things, in fact, this is something Jimmy pointed out during the week, and I I think it's so true. One of the hard things about the lockdown 
Uh, and the time that we had as Christians where we couldn't actually have communion together is we missed out on being served by Jesus. Because as, as we take that, there's something that God does in us as we're encouraged to remember again Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. Uh, as we appropriate that into ourselves and remember that God's not actually out there, he, he's there transforming us and our lives by his Holy Spirit. Uh, we've missed being served by Jesus. But of course this and the meal that Jesus was giving on that night that he was betrayed is also, uh, they're both things that point to an even, even greater service that God has done. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Remember Jesus said that his kingdom was going to be established the very next day. He wasn't going to eat again until the kingdom came. How did the kingdom come? It came on the cross. When Jesus was there nailed to the cross, as he took our sins upon himself, as he bore the punishment that we deserved, as he enabled, as his blood was poured out for forgiveness and grace to be poured out too. And so he is bringing to himself a new community, a new kingdom of people as he dies upon that cross and gives us hope and life. He establishes the kingdom in his greatest act of service. And so the character of the king is borne out in the way in which the kingdom is established and the character of the kingdom is, flows from how it was established. That is in sacrifice and grace and forgiveness and the love of God expressed. And if that's the kind of king we have, then that's a king we can trust. Uh, you know, the tyrants of this world, the kings of this world who rule by fear and force, they're the ones who put others to, get to death to secure their kingdom. Well, Jesus died himself to secure our kingdom. We need to be like the king. In a country led by a dictator, uh, you live in fear and uh, force. In a kingdom led by one who serves and dies for you, then you live a life of service and sacrifice, a life of love. And you know what that does to the world? It changes it. It transforms it. It can do it to your family. It can do it to your organisation and workplace. It can do it in our country. As the grace of God and his kingdom goes out, as more and more people live the character of the king, this world is being transformed and will finally come to that day when we come to the final meal, the meal of the king, where his kingdom is perfected, all that opposes it is gone and we can see him if we trust in him and his death and resurrection and be at that table ourselves, living exactly in the security, the joy, the love of God's kingdom. 
I can't wait for that day. I hope you can't either. I'm looking forward to this week where we just pause and slow down and look at what Christ has done on the cross uh, on Tuesday and Friday and uh, rejoice in his resurrection on Easter Day. Uh, Let me pray as we look forward to that. Our Lord Jesus Christ, you are a glorious and good king. We thank and praise you for your character, your holiness, your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you that you are not a king like the kings of this world and that you're a king that we can trust. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that we might see more and more of your son, uh, that we might see his character and we pray that you would grow us by your Holy Spirit to be more and more like him, to have the character of our king. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might be his agents in the world, that your kingdom might grow, uh, because it is a kingdom of peace and love and grace. And so, Heavenly Father, we look forward to that day when we will be with you. Lord, sustain us and strengthen us until that day and continue uh, to help us to serve and honour Christ uh, as King in all that we are and all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um.